Go to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It's a simple gospel. It really is. And, and today I just want to share the simple gospel with you uh, because sometimes we need to be reminded. Uh, and sometimes when I'm reading uh, Paul's letters to the different churches, I, I stop and I think, man, what if I wrote church letters to the church like that? I mean, they're pretty rough. Have you ever read through Paul's letters and thought, that's a pretty hard word, right? How about Galatians 1, a curse be on you if you preach any other gospel? You Galatians, who bewitched you? How would you like that if, like, your pastor just texted you, a curse on you? <laughs> You'd probably be like, I don't want to go to church there anymore, right? But Paul just shot it straight because he was focused on preaching the simple gospel. And sometimes we forget how simple it is. We try to over-complex things so that we can make sound bites for YouTube and Facebook, and we miss the mark that this gospel is powerful. This gospel changes our lives. This gospel renews us. But it's about him, not us. And it's simple. So simple that you have to make yourself like a child to receive it. You have to come to him with a humble, contrite heart. Lord, I need you. I'm done with myself. I'm done with my way. Paul was addressing this in Galatians 1. So let's go there. Verse 6. I'm shocked. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. That you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you, the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Those are strong words, aren't they? Let that person be cursed. Verse 10. Without saying it, he says it. Without needing to say it, he says it. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Except for the part where he curses people. No, that, that's beautiful too. Truth is, is the American church, much like the Galatians church, has a very bad habit of twisting the scripture, twisting who God is to fit our personal desires. Right? This is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, guys... This scripture is pure. This scripture is holy. This God that we worship, there is none like him. He's set apart. And you're not him. And you need to understand that you can't get, your, you can't get revelation from human-made doctrine. You can't depend on your pastor. You can't depend on other people and sound bites off of YouTube. You need to have a relationship with the living word of God. You need to have a relationship where he's speaking to you personally, where he's talking to you individually, where he's refining you and cutting things off of you and revealing who he is through his word. What does our culture like to do now? It's like, you know, that's great that you worship Jesus, you read your Bible. I worship God too, but I believe God is whatever you want him to be. 
right? Isn't that what culture, that's what people in culture in the world say. I, I worship the God of however I feel. I worship the God of my imagination. I worship the God who bows down to my desire, who makes me feel good. And Paul goes, that's a joke. That's, apost- that, that's apostate. That's not actually God. That's, that's your emotion. You're, you're worshiping your imagination. There's a God in heaven. He's made himself available to you. He's not made from man-made doctrines. He's not twisted by what you want, desire, or feel. He's defined by what he said. And he wants to bless your life. He wants to cover you with his grace. He wants to cover you with his mercy. His tender love has been pointed to you. But you've got to come to him. And you've got to allow him to reveal himself to you. Otherwise, you're underneath the curse You're worshiping something man-made, and you're stuck within yourself. What's the curse? Obviously, Paul is not conjuring up curses on his own. He's talking about the same curse that Adam and Eve inherited for all of humanity, right? When we choose to worship anything else other than the one true living God, we've placed ourselves back underneath the curse that occurred when Adam and Eve bit the apple, See, we, we think we're, we're, this is a great paradox of humanity is that we think that when we're serving ourselves, we're doing things for our own good. It's not true. You can only benefit yourself by serving God. Let me say that again. You can only benefit yourself when you cast aside what you think you need and you say, God, my life is yours. Show me where I can submit myself to build your kingdom. Show me how I can let my life go in order to gain your life. Show me what I need to let go of in order to conform to what you've written in your scripture. See, you can't bless yourself at the same standard as as God blesses you by serving yourself. You just can't. In fact, the more you chase your own desires, the more you lead yourself to destruction. This is why we have to have a relationship with the word. We have to be able to go, okay, I'm a human being. I am flawed. At, at the moment I came into this world, I've, I've come underneath the curse. I'm flawed. I need something greater than me, something more powerful than me, in order to sustain my life because I can't do it on my own. In fact, Jesus says it in Matthew, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? It's an invitation, but it's an invitation on his terms, not your terms. It's understanding I am weak. I do have burdens. Apart from you, God, I am deceitful. Apart from you, God, I am evil. I need your your leadership in my life because when I'm led by my flesh, I'm led to destruction. And Jesus says, yes, I know that. And I actually want you to bring your deception towards me. I want you to bring your brokenness to me. I want you to bring your your wicked heart into my presence because I want to unfasten you from the desires that rule your flesh and I want to fasten you to my yoke. I want to put my burdens upon you. I want to lay upon you my gentle heart. I want you to know what I think about you. I want you to know what I see. I want you to have the same perspective I have so that you can live from my blessing. But you have to understand that this gospel can't be conformed to what you feel. 
You can't make this fit your agenda. The moment you do that, you step back outside of the blessing and you inherit the curse. In fact, until you understand that apart from me, you are wicked and deceitful, you'll never understand how good I actually am. You'll never see how good I am. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, it's a really, it's a really hard passage to read, but God is, is going through what the blessings of covenant relationship look like. And he says, if you obey me and you stay close to me and you cling to me and you make me your father, you make me your God, I'll bless your land, I'll bless your family, I'll bless every aspect of your life will come under my leadership and I will bless it abundantly. It's beautiful. But then he says, but if you disobey, a curse will come upon you. The same curse Paul's talking about. Same curse that was inherited at the garden. Same curse that's been tormenting mankind since the fall. Curse will come upon your land, your families. The, every part of your life will be afflicted by this curse. And he goes on and he says, and let me just find it for you so you can read along with me. In verse 54, he's talking about all the, 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 the pain that comes with living under the curse. In verse 54, he says, The most tender-hearted man among you will have no compassion for his own brother, beloved wife, and his surviving children. He will refuse to share with them the flesh he is devouring, the flesh of his own children, because he has nothing else to eat during the siege and terrible distress that your enemy will inflict on your towns. The most tender and delicate woman among you, so delicate she would not so much as touch the ground with her foot, would be selfish towards her husband she loves and towards her own sons and daughters. And this is where it gets really gross. She will hide them hide from them the afterbirth and the new baby she has born so that she herself can secretly eat them. She will have nothing else to eat during the siege and terrible distress that your enemy will inflict on all your towns. So God is saying, apart, so so you've got to understand, he's not saying that if you disobey me, I'm going to cause you to perform cannibalism, right? That's weird because then he would be overriding our will. And I don't believe that he enjoys watching us perform wicked things. But what he's saying is, if you choose to live outside of covenant relationship with me, if you choose to separate yourself from who you were created to be by being rebellious towards my word, you will be who you really are. You will be who you really are because apart from me, you're wicked. And he says, even the most tender-hearted, most gentle man who, who you revere as the most God-fearing person in all of Israel, he'll hate his children, he'll hate his wife. The most wonderful, gentle woman that you know in your community, the, the Proverbs 31 woman, will become resentful towards her family. See, this is not what God does to us. This is who we are apart from his grace. This is the reality of what human beings are when we don't know the one living God. This is the the product that comes from you being your own God is you destroy yourself and everyone you've ever cared for. See, when we live apart from God serving ourselves, we actually invite a curse into our lives. We actually invite destruction into our lives. We actually invite destituteness into our lives. We are nothing. We we are wicked. We are deceived apart from relationship with Jesus. (laughs) See, there's an option. There always will be a choice. You can live close to him despite your brokenness. This is the, the great thing about the cross is that he went to it so that you were not defeated by your own sin. Despite your brokenness, he says, come close to me. 
Live in relationship with me. I know your innermost thoughts. I know your deepest, darkest secrets. I know what you've stuffed into the closet, and I still want relationship with you. I still want to be close to you. Until you understand that, you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot. You are bringing destruction onto yourself by not knowing God as a good father. By not knowing God as a gentle king who wants to love you, who wants to care for your soul, who wants to bring his blessing into your life. It's a simple gospel. It's illustrated in his word. You're a sinful people. I'm a sinful person. Since the fall of man, we've been running away from God after our own desires causing destruction to come onto ourselves. God's heart was broken by that because he's always desired to be in relationship with you. So he came to earth in flesh. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus was fully man, 100% human being, and fully God, 100% divine. And he came into the mess of this world. It's a simple gospel. And he did it not because he wanted to prove a point, but because he said, I can't stand to not have you in my heart. I can't stand to live outside of relationship with you. So he came fully God, fully man. And he gave himself to be crucified on your behalf. You deserve to be whipped. You deserve to be scorned. You deserve to be nailed to a cross. But Jesus said, I'm going to do that for you. Because I'm the only perfect one who's ever lived on this earth. That's great news. Jesus is the only perfect person to walk on this earth. That means the pressure is taken off. There's no, there's no more mark for you to hit that you can attain on this earth. Jesus is the only one who could walk on this earth in perfection. Thank you, Jesus. Because he was perfect, he's the only one that qualifies to, to take the sins of this world and lay them upon himself as a sacrifice. They put him upon a cross. His blood was shed. And because his blood was shed, you have been made clean. And then they put his body into a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the tomb. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. And better yet, he said, I want you up here with me. All, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now I give it to you. And you are seated with me at the right hand of the Father. That's the simple gospel. And then not even, that's not even the end of the story. For all who would want to walk in his power, he has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit that if we just cry out, Holy Spirit, I want you to consume me. Not only does he work on the inside of us, but he falls on us with power so that we can walk on this earth confidently destroying the works of hell around us. You can pray for the sick and they'll be healed. You can cast out demons and they'll be healed. You can pray for the dead and they'll be raised. You can drink poison and not be harmed. Don't do it. I don't recommend that. You can pick up snakes and they bite you. You're not affected. Please don't do that either. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon your life. And all you have to do, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I turn from myself. I repent of my sins. I, I reconcile with reality that I am an imperfect human being, that I am deceitful, that I am wicked in my heart, that I have nothing good to offer you, but you still pursue me. And I turn from myself and I gaze upon you. That's the simple gospel. That's the simple gospel. <laughs> So when you leave this place today, despite what you encounter, this gospel is still 
still our guiding light. Despite what harm comes your way, despite what hell tries to ensnare you in, despite what the enemy tries to bring into your life, this gospel still remains the same. You just still have to make the choice to submit to what you want, what you think you need, what you desire, or say, God, let your word rule and reign in my life. I want to be submitted to your word. I want to be submitted to what you've made me for. I would rather die a meaningful death than live a meaningless life. God, consume me and crucify in me anything that is not conformed to what you've said in your written word. (laughs) I read the book of, of, well, I read chapter 6 and 7 of Judges this week and just really enjoying the character of Gideon. And in chapter 6, the... Scene starts out that Israel, of course, is rebelling from the Lord again, just like we all do. And uh, they're oppressed by the enemy. The Midianites have taken them over uh, because they've begun to worship the gods of the Midianites, the, the, the Asherah poles and uh, the altars to Baal. They've, they've given their lives over to foreign gods. And, and God says, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. Enjoy the curse. And so he hands them over to the Midianites, and it gets so bad that the Midianites are regularly sending over raiding parties into Israel's villages and cities to just raid all the food. And Israel comes into a state of crisis. They come into a state of crisis, and they call out, God, we're starving to death. We've ran from you in the past, but today we need you. How merciful is God? You can live your whole life in rebellion to him. You can live your whole life dominated by your sin, dominated by your flesh. But the moment you cry out, God, I now realize I need you. He goes, I'm listening and I've been waiting. Listening and I've been waiting. And so he says, I'm raising up for you a deliverer, a a hero. And of course, our hero Gideon, what is he doing? He's in hiding. He's threshing grain in the wine press. That means that he's hiding the food that he's, he's creating by doing it where they make wine so the Midianites can't come and raid and steal from him. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and he says, mighty hero, mighty hero. Of course, Gideon's surprised by this because he feels like a mighty big coward at this point in his life. He's not been raised to know who God is personally. He's only heard of stories and he replies to the angel, who are you talking to? I'm, I'm in hiding, I'm a coward. And if you really are the God of my ancestors, why have you allowed us to be plundered like this by the Midianites? And then the, uh, the angel responds to him, go with the strength that you have. Go with the strength that you have. When you fight the Midianites, it'll be like you're fighting with me against one man. I'm going to completely abil- obliterate these, these enemies of yours. But it's that verse, verse 14, go with the strength that you have, where now God is saying, Gideon, you still don't believe my word. You're still consumed by what you feel. You're still consumed by your circumstances, but I'm giving you one option, and that's to go with the strength that you have. What, I'm, what he's actually saying to him is, I am taking away all of your excuses. I am taking away every reason you have in your heart not to be obedient to me anymore. Well, God, you don't understand. My family does this, that, and the other. 
God, you don't understand. If I just had the right job, God, you don't understand. If I just had enough money, God, you don't understand. Why are you letting me walk through all these things if you've called me to this? And God says, you know what? I'm not here to listen to your excuses. Just go in the strength that you have. (laughs) It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about how you feel about your situation. It's about what I'm about to do in you if you choose to be obedient to me. (laughs) See, some of us will never discover how God was going to move in our lives beyond our own capability because we're too stuck. We're too afraid of what we see around us. See, some of us have a burden and a passion in our heart to do something greater than what we're experiencing now, but we'll never come into it because we won't get out of our excuses and go in the strength that we have. God doesn't say, you know what, fast until you feel like it or pray until it makes sense. No, he says, go in the strength that you have. Begin the work because when you begin to fight for what you're called to live in, I'm going to fight on your behalf. So now you have a choice. You can be stuck in yourself. You can be stuck in what you feel. Or you can be obedient to my word. And you can go in the strength that you have. Of course, he tests the Lord. And uh, he has him stay there. And he comes back. And he realizes it is God. Because he makes the, uh, a young goat's meat and um, a bowl of soup evaporate in a fire. Which is pretty cool. But that does it for Gideon. And he goes, okay, this has is, this is definitely got to be God. And he goes back to his house and he begins to tear down the Asherah poles and the, the, the altars to Baal that his dad has set up as places of worship. And of course, that really irritates Gideon's family. When you become serious about the word of God in your life, when you become radical for Jesus, it will irritate the people who have gotten used to be, you being cold. It will irritate the people who you've lived lukewarm with your entire life. It will. And so they go out there and they're about to stone him to death, but somebody has the good sense to say, hey, wait, why don't we just let Baal fight for himself if he's really God? And so, they, you know, that's a good, that's a good uh, sense of logic. That's a, we should do that. So they don't kill Gideon. But it says after he tears down these places of idol worship in his family's life, the spirit of God comes upon him with power. When you go to war against the idols and the sin in your life is when you become anointed to do what God has called you to do. Holiness leads to power in the kingdom. Holiness leads to power. When you say, God, your word has clearly made it, made it obvious to me that I am living in sin and I want to go to war against it, that's when you become baptized with a new anointing of power to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish in your life. The first person you need to go to war with, go to war against, is yourself. It's the generational curses that have haunted your family. It's the places of agreement where you've allowed the enemy to build his camp are the strongholds that you've become comfortable with. And it's not to shame you, it's to set you free. Because when you go to war against the sin that you've made agreement with in your life, God's power comes on you in a new way. And the anointing takes you to places you couldn't go on your own. just can't because, you know, my family's always been like this. God says, go to war. Go to war. Go to war. Endure the persecution. Endure the the words of scoffing. Endure the shame. Endure anything that you have to endure. Just go to war because I've got a new anointing for you, but you need to go to war against yourself. 
So it says that the power of God comes upon him, and he picks up a ram's horn, and he blows it, and the tribes of Israel begin to gather because they're ready to fight now because they see a man who is passionate about the one true living God. If you want people to follow you in your ministry, you need to become passionate about Jesus' power on your life. And so they gather, and it says there's 22,000 soldiers, and God goes, you know what? I've delivered you from your sin. I've delivered you from your rebellion against my word. Now I'm going to deliver, deliver you from your self-sufficiency. No longer will you trust in yourself, Gideon, as you lead my people into victory. So I want you to cut your army in half plus 2,000. goes from 22,000 to 10,000. And he goes, this is good. It's a good start. But we're going to do, so, do like an experiment. I want you to take these 10,000 down to the river. And I want you to separate them into two groups. Those who bend down and drink water out of the creek, like just kind of mouth to water. And those who pick it up with their hands and lap it like a dog. It's very strange. Very, very strange. And so they go down to the creek or the river or whatever. And they begin to drink. And there's 300 men who lap the water like a dog. And he says, that's your, that's your army. Those 300 dog lappers. Those are the ones I've set apart from you. And I don't really understand it fully, but this is what I've come to the conclusion, that if you bend down to the water and you're tense like this and you're looking around drinking, you probably have some sort of like awareness that we're about to fight and you're ready to fight. But if you go down there and you just lazily lap water with your head down, you probably have never been in war before and you're probably not ready for fighting. So God goes, you know what? I want you to take the 300 laziest, most inexperienced soldiers and go to war with that. <laughs> See, some of us are waiting for the right moment, the right time, the right resources, the right words. And God says, you are just stealing from yourself what I've planned for you. Go in the strength that you have. Quit waiting for the right circumstances. This is about what I'm about to do in you, not what you're about to do for me. This is about what I'm about to accomplish through you. Not in, it's not about what you can do for me. So they go down, uh, prepared, all 300 of them, and God says to Gideon, you know what? If you're still doubting this, if you still think this is not a good idea, I want you to wait till midnight, go down to the Midianite camp, and listen to what they're talking about. So Gideon goes, okay, he takes his assistant with him. They go down there. They get to the camp. They're hiding in the bushes. And they hear one of the Midianite soldiers say to another one, I had a really crazy dream last night. I dreamed a loaf of barley bread rolled off the mountain down into our camp and crushed our tents. And the other guy goes, that's only one thing. That's, Midian. that's Gideon. His God is going to conquer us in battle. And they both go, yeah, I think that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so Gideon hears that and he goes I don't know what else to say let's do this and so he goes guys pick up your weapons which is a jar of clay a ram's horn and a torch and he says on my command I want you to blow the horn crack the vase and light the torches and I'm sure there's something really beautiful and prophetic about that about at the midnight hour the call of the Lord coming to the earth but I don't really know that's just what they do they do that, and the enemy starts cutting each other themselves up and fighting against themselves. They're scattered into the hills, and all of Israel rushes in to plunder the enemy's camp. This is the point, is it doesn't need to make sense. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to wait until you can 
clearly articulate what God is doing in your life. If you know there's something that needs to change in your life, you need to go in the strength that you have. If there's something in your life that isn't aligning to what God has called you to, to his word, if you are walking outside of covenant relationship and you need to go to war against yourself, you don't need to wait for the right moment or the right resources. You need to go. You need to go in the strength that you have. We're so inundated with information. We've got all the teachings we could ever want for three lifetimes. We've got all the book studies. We've got all the things. The only thing we've forgotten is the word. (laughs) I feel like God is raising up a Gideon generation that don't need the right answers, that don't need it to look a certain way, that don't need to wait on the right opportunity. They just want to go because they know it's God and they know it's good. They just want to give their lives away. They just want to say, God, whatever it takes, I want to be consumed by your word. I want to believe what you say about me. I want to let go of the circumstances I'm surrounded by. I want to let go of my desire to please myself. I want to be inundated with who you are. So Jesus, would you do that to us? Would you do that to us? Would you consume us with your love? Would you consume us with your fire? Father, we, like Gideon, we found ourselves hiding from the fight. We found ourselves hiding from the battle. We found ourselves ignoring your word to go. And Lord, we repent. We repent, Jesus. We don't want to be found on the sidelines. We don't want to be found hiding from the enemy. We don't want to be found waiting on the right opportunities. God, we repent. We repent, Lord Jesus. We want to give our lives fully to you. Father, we recognize that we are wicked, deceitful people. We recognize that apart from you, there's nothing in us that's good. There's nothing in us that's holy. But as we come into you, as we come into your life, we come into your blessing. So Jesus, would you come set us on fire to be passionate about you? Thank you, Jesus. It's your name we pray.